Well, have you ever been really hungry? I bet you all can say yes, right? Have you ever been really thirsty? Bet you all can say yes. Hunger and thirst are something that we can understand. We, we eat every day, we drink every day, so we can understand the idea of being hungry and thirsty. When you think of your desires, what is it that you desire? What is it that you hunger for? What is it that you thirst for on a daily basis? What is it that you try to satisfy your life with on a daily basis? What do you live for? Well, what we're going to see today is how we can know in one aspect if you are saved, if you've come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. We're going to see that we can see that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed and they will be satisfied. Would you turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5? We're going to be looking at verse 6 this morning as we finish up our, our break from our, our after having finished Second Peter. And we're looking at a portion called the Beatitudes, which is in a larger portion called the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Now I want to read what's called the Beatitudes first, verses 1 through 10, and then we'll talk about the context and get into our passage, verse 6 specifically. We have uh, Matthew 5, verse uh, 1. And when, they had, and when he had saw the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, he sat down, his disciples came to him and beginning and opening his mouth, beginning to teach them, saying, excuse me, and opening his mouth, he began to teach them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now he's saying, blessed are those who are, who do this. And then later on, he's going to say, blessed are you to his disciples. But here what we're seeing are statements and pronouncements of blessing and then a statement that tells us something about those who are blessed. For instance, we see, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And so with that in mind, as we look at these Beatitudes, this is the portion of the scripture which has, what has preceded it is the reality in chapter 1 that Jesus Christ was introduced in Matthew 1 as the rightful king of the Jews. He is the Lord who is salvation. He was born to save his people from their sins. In chapter 2, we see he is the Messiah foretold by Scripture and is worthy of our worship. In chapter 3, we have the way being prepared for King Jesus by John the Baptist, who preached, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then we see amazingly in the end of chapter 3 that Jesus, uh, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, condescends to be identified with man by being baptized. And we see that the Father is well pleased. This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. Now in chapter 4, after Jesus had been tempted in the wilderness, he began his ministry preaching in Galilee, specifically in Capernaum. And from that time he was preaching, from that time on he was preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it's in the end of chapter 4 that he calls four fishermen to follow him. And these fishermen followed him, leaving family and, and business behind. 
But yet in contrast, we see in the end of chapter 4 that the multitudes were following Jesus also, but for the wrong reasons. Rather than wanting to hear his teaching and preaching, they wanted the signs and healings and all that stuff. It's at this point we come to a discourse by the Lord in which we have our passage. And notice again, verse 1 begins, And when he saw the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, and after he... And when he saw the multitudes, he went up on, a, on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And opening his mouth, he began to teach them, saying. Now, specifically, Jesus sees the multitudes here, those who are following him around, and specifically from chapter 4, wanting the stuff that he could give them. They're following him wherever he is. They're showing up, the multitude, wanting to get healed or whatever it might be, to see a miracle, whatever it was. They're following him, and here he comes to a mountain, and he begins to teach his disciples. But as we see later on in chapter 7, the multitudes were listening also, and we see that he directs much of what he says to the multitudes. Now what we're going to see today is in a section called the Beatitudes. It's a section within the larger portion of the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7. Now remember, the context of the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus is the king. He has come to his own people, the Jews, a people who were in a covenant with him. They were under the law, and indeed, we see that Jesus was born under the law, Galatians chapter 4.4. 4. And the Sermon on the Mount, you'll see many references to the law in the Sermon on the Mount. You see, God had made a covenant with his people through the law. But the law was never intended to save them. It was a schoolmaster to lead them to Christ, to bring them to Jesus. You see, the law should have shown them, they should have understood that there are none righteous, not even one. They should have understood that they couldn't keep God's demands and, and beg for mercy and salvation. But unfortunately, they did not. They became prideful and they did it in their own strength rather than by faith. So then we have the revelation that these Jews have. They have the word of God, the very oracles of God. They should have recognized their sinfulness and turned to God. They should have understood from the Old Testament that all of us like sheep had gone astray. But God would pour out his wrath upon his suffering servant, Jesus Christ, one who would be born from a virgin, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, father of eternity, or eternal father of eternity, prince of peace, the one who would bear our sins and be pierced for our transgressions. They should have understood that, but they didn't. They didn't. They had hardened hearts. And indeed, within three years, they would be yelling, crucify him, crucify him. So here, Jesus is faithfully and graciously teaching those who believe they were the Lord's. They believe they had a relationship with God. And he is teaching them what a genuine relationship with the Lord looks like in light of their hypocrisy, their religious hypocrisy and there may be some of you today that think you have a relationship with the lord but god doesn't want you to be deceived unto your eternal damnation he wants you to truly know that you do if you do and if you don't so that you would turn and trust in christ now although the sermon on the mount is for jews here specifically directly related to them we recognize the principles here apply to us also and all scriptures inspired by god and is profitable for teaching for correction, for for approved correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate equipped for every good work. And I believe if you're willing to listen today, you might recognize your true state before the Lord and then respond rightfully. And I pray that you're willing to listen. So in our passage, we have in verse 6, but I want to read up to it. I want to read the Beatitudes that come up to our passage in verse 6 and just review those very briefly in 3 through 5 
And then look at our passage. Notice verse 3. Jesus begins with these blessed statements. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, you might have been with us when we went through the book of Matthew and we saw what this term blessed meant, which is repeated throughout these Beatitudes. It is a term that speaks of happiness. Happiness specifically, which is not tied to circumstance. I'm not going to go through all the passages, but I want to read a few passages in the Psalms that speak of what a truly blessed person is. If you think of what a blessed person is, say, that person is blessed. Well, what does God say? What does God say about those who are blessed? Look at Psalm 34, Psalm 34, in the middle of your Bibles. Psalm 34, verse 8. David writes, inspired by the Spirit of God, verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. I'll read this, Romans chapter 4, this is a quote from uh, Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven. You are blessed if your sins have been forgiven. You are not blessed if you are still in your sins. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are blessed. You are blessed. It says, blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven, whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man in whom the Lord will not take into account his sin. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Psalm 84, verse 12. O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in thee. You are blessed if you trust in the Lord. You are blessed if you trust in the Lord. Psalm 112, verse 1. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord. You're blessed if you fear the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Psalm 119, verse 2, how blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. In Luke chapter 11, turn to Luke 11. Luke 11, the Lord Jesus is walking along and a lady begins to shout out something she thinks is a very religious statement that will maybe cause her to be looked at religiously, whatever it might be. And Jesus says something on the contrary to what you say. Luke chapter 11, verse 27 And it came about while he said these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which which you nursed. Notice Jesus' response. But he said, On the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. The blessed are those who have had their sins forgiven. The blessed are those who trust in Jesus Christ. The blessed are those who have him as their refuge. The blessed are those who fear the Lord. The blessed are those who obey his word and greatly delight in it. Do those things describe you? That's what the blessed are. The blessed are true believers. True believers. And throughout these Beatitudes back in Matthew, and turn back to Matthew chapter 5, He says, blessed are, continually habitually, you are continually habitually blessed if these characteristics describe you currently. They describe you. So notice the first one he says, and it's foundational, back in chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, or the spiritually bankrupt. Not just poor, money-wise, spiritually poor. 
For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's the, the point. Because theirs, or these fours could actually be translated as because, by the way. Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, when you recognize your spiritual inadequacy, your inability to save yourself, your spiritual bankruptcy, you see yourself rightly, you are blessed. You are blessed. Because no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless they humble themselves like a child who recognizes their inability to be saved and trusted as Jesus Christ for salvation. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the spiritually bankrupt. They have nothing to offer. They're completely dependent, like a little child. And the same thing after we are saved. It doesn't stop at salvation. We must trust in Christ completely to be saved. But also, we must continue in complete dependence as we walk with Him. And we are blessed if we are completely dependent upon the Lord. We are spiritually bankrupt apart from Christ. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Their true kingdom believers. A genuine humility recognizes one's true spiritual state in relationship to God, one in complete need. And those who are that way are blessed. It's the first foundation of the blessed statements. If you have never realized your absolute need for Christ, your absolute dependence to be saved on him, you're not blessed. We're not saved by our works. We're not saved by anything we can do. It is by grace we are saved through faith and not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then after we are saved, we walk by faith, not by sight. Jesus himself said in John 15 that apart from me, you can do nothing. As believers, we can do a lot of stuff, but we can't do anything in our relationship with the Lord. We can't do anything that is eternally profitable apart from Jesus. We have to rely on him and trust in him. And that comes in the context of dependent humility. Humility. We're not adequate to consider anything is coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. 2 Corinthians 3, 5. Blessed are the spiritually bankrupt, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I mentioned this when we went through the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount does not share the gospel. You will not see the gospel in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount reveals where you stand with God. And later on and before and after here, we have Jesus saying, repent and believe. He's the one to believe and That's how you're saved. That's how you're saved. If you think you're adequate, then you are not blessed. If you think you're adequate for salvation, you are not blessed. You're cursed. Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind or trusts in himself. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. And the Lord is his trust. And then remember, there's the second uh, beatitude here. We'll just review it. Verse 4, back in chapter 5 of Matthew. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, he's saying, how happy are the sad? Seems like an oxymoron, doesn't it? How happy are the sad? How can someone be sad and happy at the same time? This is a godly mourning, I believe, over sin. A godly sorrow which produces repentance. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. The word of God brings a sorrow which produces a repentance, a, a turning from those sins to God for the forgiveness of sins. Blessed are those who mourn. How happy are those who continually, habitually mourn. Again, an oxymoron. How can I be so happy when I'm mourning? 
Well, the reality is we are sinners, folks, and we fail. And we should be crushed over our failures. We should be crushed over our sins and going before the Lord, confessing those sins. And there is joy in the forgiveness of sins. There is joy in it, but there is a mourning over those sins, but a joy at the same time. He's not saying start crying to be blessed. He's not saying work up your emotions. He's saying blessed are those who mourn, for they shall, as we see, be comforted. The term comfort here is the same word used to speak of encouragement in Romans chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. They shall be encouraged. They shall be comforted. When you mourn over your sin, when you recognize your sinfulness and you confess it and you, you grieve over it, your failures, God comforts you and you are blessed. And oh, how happy are those who grieve over their sin. Oh, how happy are those true believers who grieve over their sin. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be encouraged or comforted. In Romans chapter 15, verses 4 and 5, you can look another time, it speaks of the encouragement of the Scriptures, or the comfort of the Scriptures. So these first two statements Jesus makes are to Jews who believe they were right in God's sight. Two statements which shred away human pride and reveal where man's heart truly is. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now the last one before we get to ours that I want to look at, we see that the saved, those who are truly blessed, will start to exhibit the character of Christ. Those who have recognized their sin, their spiritual bankruptcy, they've trusted in Christ, they mourn over their sin, they're walking with the Lord, they will also then begin to manifest the character of Christ, which is totally opposite of the way we were before we came to Christ. Blessed are, verse 4, excuse me, verse 5, blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Or you could say the word meek, meek. Blessed are the continually, habitually gentle or meek. Now in Scripture, what is biblical gentleness or meekness? We see from this word, it basically speaks of a humble, submissive, inward quality towards God, an inward temper of spirit that is manifested in an outward gentleness, an insides that's calm before the Lord and is gentle to others. And we weren't that way before we were saved. We were not that way. As we looked at Titus chapter 3 last week, we were not that way before we were saved. We were contentious. We were not gentle Now, certainly there are phonies who can be gentle, but the inside is not gentle. It's not right towards God. And it will eventually seep out. You see, if you come to a relationship with Jesus Christ, not perfectly because we're mourning over our sin, right? Blessed are those who mourn. But you're going to exhibit His character. You're going to exhibit His character. The Apostle Paul speaks of the Lord Jesus, that by the gentleness... Uh, uh, and meekness of Christ, Second Corinthians chapter 10 and 11. Gentle meekness is, is something that does not come apart from God. It is a fruit of the Spirit. It is a fruit of relying on Jesus, and then His life is manifest in our behavior around one another. So blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn over the sin. Blessed are the meek, those who begin to exhibit the characteristics of Jesus Christ. And again, we're not meek apart from Christ. You see, there's no way to be like God unless we have a relationship with God. 
You see, before we came to Christ, again, we were contentious. We were not gentle. We had pride on the inside, which manifest in a lack of gentleness. And see, apart from the Lord, there is none who does good. There are none who are righteous. No matter how meek you might think you are, if it's not arising from a right relationship with the living God, there's no way to be like God without having a relationship with the Lord. Now, there might be some of you here today who have never been truly meek. You don't have the ability to do so, and God is pointing out today that you are not blessed, that you are not meek, that you do not have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Blessed are the gentle because they shall inherit the earth. Speaking to the Jews, they would inherit the promises. They would inherit the land. And certainly we have an inheritance in heaven, those who are saved. Inheritance in Christ. It is only the continually, habitually meek who exhibit a true relationship with Christ who will inherit the earth, as we see here. And then we come to our passage today, which I want to focus on in verse 6. We're going to see the saved have a new disposition, one that reflects Christ's uh, right, desire to have his righteousness manifest in our lives. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who continually, habitually, that's the tense, hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied, because they shall be satisfied. Continually, habitually, those who hunger and thirst, for they in the future shall be satisfied. And, and the terminology Jesus uses here has to do with food. Hungering and thirsting, and then the term satisfied is used almost uniquely to speak of one who is filled uh, and no longer hungry. When they ate the loaves and the bread, fishes, they were filled. They were, they were satisfied. They were satisfied. You see, when you're full, you don't need anymore. You're not hungry and thirsty. Before dinner, you're hungry and thirsty. After dinner, you're not hungry and thirsty anymore. Blessed are they, are those who hunger and thirst for something, for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. What's interesting is as we look at this, there are those who are hungering and thirsting, which implies they are not satisfied now. They are hungering and thirsting for something that they don't completely have. You see, it is only till we are satisfied, as we'll see, that we have completely what we are hungering and thirsting for. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now again, he's not speaking of what someone should do. He's speaking of an inward disposition that reveals a blessed relationship with the Lord. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness. What does that mean? What does that mean, hungering and thirsting for righteousness? What does it mean to have a continually habitual, strong desire for righteousness that is not fully fulfilled yet? What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, first of all, we need to understand what righteousness is. You know, we have these terms, righteousness. We see it all throughout the Bible. People say, hey, righteous, whatever. They use it as a slang term, whatever it means. What does it mean? What does it mean? What does righteousness mean? 
Well, first of all, the word translated righteousness comes from the Greek noun dikaiosune, which is related to the adjective dikaios, and then to the verb dikaio, which means to justify. It speaks of that which is upright or just. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word that was translated righteous or upright is zadik. It carries the, basically the same meaning. Now, to understand this word, we need to see how it is used in context. Words have no meaning apart from their context. Can. It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. I can do all things through Christ. I kicked the can. You see, it doesn't have any meaning apart from those, the words that surround it. So we need to see what righteousness is from Scripture. You see, because we do not understand, we will not understand what righteousness is apart from looking at righteousness in relationship to God. So with that in mind, I want to share a few passages. Because God by nature is righteous. And he acts righteously and his word is righteous. Indeed, in Scripture, the terms righteous and righteousness are used over 600 times. 600 times. Now, let's go back and take a look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 34. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy 34. In Moses' song, we have him declaring about God's character. About God's character. Deuteronomy 34, 32, excuse me, 32, verse 4. Moses declares concerning God, he says, The rock, the rock, that's the true rock, by the way. The rock, his work is perfect. His ways are actually just or righteous. A God of faithfulness and without injustice Righteous and upright is he. God is just. He is just. He is upright. Go down to Psalm 11. Psalm 11. Skip to the middle of your Bibles. Actually, I'll read it for you. Psalm 11, verse 7. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. You see, there is no righteous reality without righteousness coming from that. You see, when someone's character is righteous, there will be righteousness. You see? And God is righteous by character. Psalm 116, verse 5, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. Psalm 119, 137, Righteous art thou, O Lord, and upright are thy judgments. In the New Testament, we see that God is righteous. That not only God, but God the Son, Jesus is righteous. Turn to 1 John chapter 2. So God is, is characterized. Now there's tons of passages. I just read a couple. God is characterized by righteousness. That's his character. He is just. He is upright. His deeds and his actions and his ways are righteous. And as you're turning there, I want to share a few other ones. We know that uh, in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He's faithful and righteous. He does the right thing to forgive us our sins. We know in Isaiah 53 that Jesus Christ is called the righteous one. Jesus is righteous. In Jeremiah, he is described as the righteous branch. Peter calls Jesus the righteous one in Acts, 13, Acts 3, verse 14. 
And then now look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. God's word helps us not sin, by the way. It convicts us, turns us to Christ to, to rely on him. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus is righteous. He is characterized by righteousness. Go down to 1 John 2.29. And guess what? If he is righteous... He manifests that in his deeds. And if we are righteous, it will manifest in our character. But not perfectly, as we're going to see. Not perfectly. 1 John 2.29, if you know that he is righteous, we know that Jesus is righteous, right? He does the right thing. He manifests it in his actions. You know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. You see, you can't be right and be upright and do the right thing apart from having a relationship with the living God. Scripture is clear that God by nature is righteous, he is just, he is upright, and Jesus Christ being fully God in human flesh is nature, by nature is righteous. He is the holy and righteous one. All his ways are right. All his ways are just. He does the right thing every single time. He does the right thing, the just thing, every single time. All his ways are just, and his actions are right, as I just mentioned. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 12. You see, because God is righteous, his actions are righteous also. 1 Samuel chapter 12, this is uh, Samuel's farewell address, and he's reminding Israel of the Lord's righteous acts, his righteous deeds. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 6. Then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your, your fathers up from the land of Egypt. So now take your stand that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts the Lord which he did for you and your fathers. All the righteous acts. Righteousness manifests in righteous actions. Psalm uh, 7 verse 11, God is a righteous judge. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says that the, the Lord, speaking of Jesus, is the righteous judge. Think of a righteous judge versus an unrighteous judge. You go to a courtroom and the judge is perverted in his ways. He, he allows liars to, 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 to bring forth their testimony. He, he, he cuts off those who are righteous. He manipulates the courtroom to, to bring an unjust situation versus a righteous judge who judges things righteously and upright. The Lord Jesus is a righteous judge. He's a righteous judge. Psalm 103, the Lord performs righteous deeds. We see in Hebrews chapter 1, and actually Turner, that the Lord loves righteousness. Not only does he perform righteous deeds, he loves righteousness. He loves righteousness. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. Towards the end of your Bibles. Hebrews 1, verse 8. But of the Son of God, but of the Son, he says, Thy throne, O God, by the way, Jesus the Son is God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Now we have a contrast. Righteousness, those things that are upright and just. Lawlessness, those things that are sinful and, and, and are, are, are twisted and wicked and transgress God's word. The Lord loves righteousness. And then look in Revelation chapter 15. 
15. We're going to see as Jesus judges, he does things righteously and his righteous acts are revealed. Revelation 15, last book in your Bible, Revelation 15. And we're going to see that his righteous acts bring about worship. Bring about worship. Revelation 15, verse 3. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, the song and the song of the Lamb. This is a wonderful song, by the way. Great and marvelous are thy works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Righteous and true are thy ways. Righteous and true. Upright and true are his ways. Thou King of the nations, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou art alone art holy. For all the nations will come and worship before thee, for thy righteous acts have been revealed have been revealed. God by nature is righteous. By nature what he does is righteous. He, has, he, is, he is righteous and is righteous in his deeds and ways. And notice also, lastly in Scripture, we see his word is righteous. His word is righteous. I read this, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 7. For what great nation is there that, that has a God so near to it as the Lord, our God, whoever we call, whenever we call on him? Or what great nation is there whose statutes and judgments are righteous as the whole law which I am setting before you today? Psalm 119, verse 7, I shall give thanks to thee with uprightness of heart when I learn of thy righteous judgments. Psalm 119, 62, at midnight I shall give thanks to thee because thou art right, because of thy righteousness. Psalm 119, 123, my eyes fail for longing for thy salvation and for thy righteous word. Psalm 119, 137, Righteous art thou, Lord, and upright are thy judgments. 119, 44, Thy testimonies are righteous forever. Psalm 119, 60, The sum of thy word is truth, and every one of thy righteous ordinances is everlasting. And we know that God's word is what God uses to train us in righteousness. You want to know what righteousness is? God's word reveals that. It reveals a righteous God and righteous deeds and actions. God's word reveals what righteousness is. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, that's the written word, that's the Bible, is inspired by God, God-breathed, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Righteousness. We need to be trained. God's Word is what's profitable. God's Word reveals righteousness. God's Word reveals how we are to be righteous in situations, in our actions. God's Word reveals what God has called upon us to do in the context of faith and dependence on Him. So then God is righteous, his ways are just, his word is righteous, and that word trains us. And so now that we understand this word of righteousness, we can gather a better understanding, a better understanding of, of what righteousness is to hunger and thirst for. Now one thing we also need to recognize that God's word reveals is that man, apart from God, is unrighteous, is unrighteous. David acknowledges this truth in, in Psalm 142. Turn to Psalm 142. See, God is righteous, man is unrighteous. Is unrighteous. Psalm 143, excuse me, 143, verse 1. A Psalm of David. Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my supplications. 
Answer me in thy faithfulness, in thy righteousness. Do the right thing, God. Answer me and do the right thing. And do not enter into judgment with thy servant, for in thy sight no man living is righteous. Apart from God, we are not righteous. We are not righteous. Romans chapter 3, turn up to Romans chapter 3. This is the summary statement. Romans chapter chapter 1, he introduces the theme of the book, the righteous by faith shall live. Romans, the end of chapter 1, that the pagan is unrighteous. Chapter 2, the Jew is unrighteous. And then the summary of the indictment of God to mankind. Romans chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Are we better than, 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 uh, than, than, than they? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Here you go. Legal charge. And it is, it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. You see, we are born sinful. We are born into sin because of Adam. We are unrighteous. But God is gracious who provides righteousness through Jesus Christ. And when you trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you receive his righteousness, his righteous standing before God, and we are no longer condemned. But then he also begins to manifest his righteousness in our lives because we have changed hearts towards him. But apart from him, all of our stuff is filthy. Isaiah 64, verse 6, For all, for we, for all of us have become like one unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. All our good stuff we think is really good is like filth. You see, Jesus is not talking about self-righteousness, those who think they're righteous apart from God. Jesus himself said, I did not come to call the righteous or those who think they're righteous. I came to call sinners, those who recognize they're unrighteous. The Pharisees in Matthew 23, they were those who appear righteous to men, but inwardly they are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. All of our righteous deeds are like filthy garments. You see, mankind is unrighteous. And if you haven't come to Jesus Christ yet, no matter how good your deeds are, you're unrighteous. And God demands perfect righteousness. And he supplies that right standing, that righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ, the holy and righteous one. God took on human flesh. He lived the sinless, spotless, he was the spotless lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He lived the perfect life. He went to the cross and he bore our sins in his body on the cross and he died and he rose from the dead. And if you trust in Jesus Christ, you receive his righteous standing and God no longer holds you accountable for your sin because Jesus took care of it. And then from that point, when you've come to faith, then he does a change in our heart where we are blessed. We desire and hunger and thirst for practical righteousness in our lives, for righteous actions that come from God. And those who have that demeanor, as we will see, will be satisfied. Will be satisfied. You see, some of you may think you're righteous, but God sees the heart. God sees the heart. There are those who think they are clean, but they have not been washed of their filthiness. It is only through Jesus Christ that we are cleansed of our sins, declared to be righteous, and then he begins to work out his righteousness in our lives as we hunger and thirst for his character to be manifest in us. 
You see, Scripture says, He made Him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Amazing reality. You see, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifest. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. You can be righteous today through faith in Jesus Christ. But what does it say? Romans 10.8. The word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. The word of faith, which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Will not be disappointed. Tremendous, wonderful reality. Tremendous, wonderful reality. You see, the Apostle Paul recognized his righteous deeds before faith were all rubbish. And he gained the righteousness of Christ through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, those who are saved are going to have a new nature. When we get saved, we are changed. We are changed. We begin to desire the things of God. And we are actually called righteous. Psalm 32, verse 11, Be glad and rejoice, you righteous ones. Those who were unrighteous are now righteous in his sight because of Jesus. Psalm 33, verse 1, Sing for joy, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. Psalm 97, verse 12, Be glad in the Lord, you righteous ones, and give thanks to his holy name. You see, we are righteous. We are righteous. And yet, we are not fully manifesting his character yet. We are not fully shining forth yet. You see, the Lord sustains the righteous, Psalm 37:17. The righteous will not be forsaken, 37:25. The Lord loves the righteous, Psalm 146, verse 8. He protects the righteous, Psalm 34, verse 15. And the righteous will shine forth like the sun. Matthew chapter 13. Turn to Matthew chapter 13. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, verse 41, Matthew 13, and gather out of his kingdom all the stumbling blocks, those who commit lawlessness, and cast them in the furnace of fire, in the place where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, we don't shine forth completely right now. Yes, let your light shine, but we still sin, don't we? We still sin as believers, but we are right in his sight because of Jesus. If you trusted in Jesus, you are righteous. But we, practically speaking, we still sin. We still sin. And we are those who mourn over that sin. Back to our passage, Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. It's God's righteousness revealed in his word and and how we behave and act and think in every situation. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. That means you're not fully satisfied yet. That means you recognize you're not fully righteous yet and no man will be fully righteous until we're glorified. You see, we should have an inward demeanor of wanting to be righteous and recognizing when we're not. Hungering and thirsting. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You're blessed continually, habitually, if that is you. 
You recognize when you fail. You want to do the right thing. You don't want to go the wrong way. You hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. I believe it is an evidence of someone who is truly saved. Who is truly saved. 1 John chapter 3, verse 7, Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. We're going to begin to manifest his character, and we're going to have a spiritual hunger for his righteousness. Let me ask you, are you blessed? Do you continually, habitually hunger and thirst for his righteousness in your life, in every action and deed? As we saw already, God's word reveals very clearly what righteousness is. It trains us in righteousness. You should have a hunger for the word of God. Lord God, help me understand your ways that I might walk in them. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They have a hunger and thirst to grow in respect to salvation, a yearning and desiring to grow in respect to salvation. Look at Second Peter or First Peter chapter 2. Turn to First Peter chapter 2. Before I came to faith, I had no hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, I had external pressure to be righteous because of consequences or situations. It it benefited me to do the right thing, supposedly, in my life. But that's not hungering and thirsting for his righteous character in me. 1 Peter chapter 2. Therefore, this is to those who have been born again, by the way. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do you hunger for his character to be manifest? When you sin, are you grieved over your sin? Do you hunger and thirst to do things the right way and not fail and do things the wrong way? Do you hunger and thirst for Christ to be glorified through your actions, your speech, and whatever it might be? True believers are those who are blessed. They have a relationship, a changed inner disposition, a changed desires inside. You see, if you are continually habitually living in sin, don't fool yourself. You're just living out your nature. You're just living out your nature. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, right? We all were that way. Let me ask you, friends. Do you have a deep desire for the character of Christ revealed in his word to be lived out in your life, in your situations, in your life? If not... Maybe you're fooling yourself. Maybe you're fooling yourself. Either you've been hardened by the deceitfulness of sin and you need to confess, or you never truly have been changed. Never been changed. We were saved from sin unto righteousness. 1 Peter 2.24, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That should be our desire. We're not perfect. We still sin. That's the whole point. We're not fully satisfied yet. We hunger and thirst. I don't want to do these things. I don't want to think this way, Lord God. It's not right. 
I want to think rightly, Lord God. And notice the promise. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, continually, bitchly, right now, for or because they shall, future tense, be satisfied. It speaks of being completely filled. The one who was hungry is no longer hungry. The one who was thirsty is no longer thirsty. Completely satisfied. Speaking of this, this metaphor of, of, of eating, which we can understand. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Speaks of being filled to the brim, being satisfied. This is a future promise which will not be completely fulfilled. By the way, we get little bits of the satisfaction as, as, as God works out his character in us. But we still fail. We still fail. If you think you are there and you are fully satisfied that you are living a perfectly righteous life, you are deceiving yourself. We're not there yet. But there are times that we are blessed, that God does manifest, and it should be more and more and more and more, but we should be hungry. But guess what? This future promise is wonderful. Because there will be a day in which we will be fully righteous. There will be a day which we will no longer think wrongly. Those things that we are grieved over. Why did I think that way, Lord? Why am I sitting this way? I don't want to do this. That day will be gone. And you will be satisfied. Philippians chapter 1, For I am confident of this very thing, verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. We know our citizenship is in heaven, Philippians 3, for which we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our humble state to conformity with his body of glory. Turn to Romans chapter 8. God is going to glorify us. And when we are glorified, we will be satisfied. We will no longer be unrighteous in practice. We will be fully righteous in deed and thought. I can't even imagine that. But if you're hungering for it, it should be exciting. If you're not hungering, it's not exciting at all. You want to get out of here and go eat lunch. If you're hungering for it, it should be exciting. It's going to happen. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. That's, by the way, a qualifier there. To those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he predestines, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. We're going to be glorified. We're going to have new bodies with no sin and we're going to be righteous. We will be satisfied. You see, you are blessed if you've truly been saved. You are blessed if that's manifest by hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And if you've truly been saved as an indication of a hunger for his righteousness, then you will be glorified. You will be satisfied. And we will shine forth like the sun. There's a lot of people who claim to be Christians. There were a lot of people back in Jesus' day who claimed to follow the Lord. And God was gracious to not allow them to think they were saved when they were not. Today we have seen that those who are blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The pagan who doesn't care, who's off doing his own sinful thing, it doesn't hunger for righteousness. The self-righteous hypocrite may have an external righteousness on the outside, but the inside is corrupt. They don't hunger for righteousness. 
but those who have come into a relationship with Jesus Christ are blessed. Blessed. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So how does this apply? It should be applying the whole time, right, as I'm talking? Some of you have never hungered and thirsted for his righteousness because you don't know him, and that's just the way it is. Just be honest with yourself. That's the way it was for me before Christ. Even though I thought I was saved, I didn't hunger for his righteousness. I didn't hunger to do the right thing. I had external pressures for things to happen or desires that I wanted to fulfill, but it wasn't God convicting me about what's wrong and right and desiring to do what's right. Turn to him. Trust in him. You can be righteous today, and he'll change your inner disposition. Turn to him. Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. Forgive me. And he will cleanse you right now. And you will have a changed heart that wants to be righteous. What about those of us who are believers? Some of you are believers, and you've been dulled by the deceitfulness of sin. You don't hunger and thirst. Whatever it might be, Confess your sin. God's not mocked. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. Confess your sin, and God will cleanse you. He's faithful and righteous to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then hunger. You'll see yourself hungering. Folks, we are to be those who are focused on righteousness, on his righteousness, focused on him. I want to close with these passages. 1 Timothy 6, 11. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, gentleness. What do you pursue? 2 Timothy 2.22. Now flee youthful lust, Timothy, you young man, and pursue righteousness. Pursue God changing your heart through the word of God in all your actions and words. Pursue that. And do so with also love, faith, and peace. Notice what he says, 2 Timothy 2.22, with those who call upon the name of the Lord with a pure heart. Pursue it with those who are actually saved also. Don't pursue it with people who don't know the Lord. Pursue it with those who call upon the name of the Lord with a pure heart. Jesus says later on in Matthew 6, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. What are you seeking? What do you hunger and thirst for? Are you broken up your sin? Do you want to do the right thing? You will be satisfied. Pursue righteousness, brothers and sisters. Pursue it with those who call upon the name of the Lord with a pure heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the truth that pierces through the heart. Lord, help us who know you to be re-encouraged to pursue righteousness, not apart from you, but from trusting in you and allowing your word to work in us. Thank you that we are blessed who hunger and thirst for righteousness because we will be satisfied. Father, I pray for those here who are not saved, who don't pursue righteousness, don't care about it, Lord, I pray you convict their hearts that they would be changed, forgiven, and with their new nature pursue you and your righteousness, your kingdom and your righteousness. We thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.